And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today you're going to hear me on the Wired for Success podcast. The Wired for Success podcast is hosted by Claudia Garbutt. She speaks about the science of self-development. So we spoke about self-development, passion. We spoke about mindset, mindset for entrepreneurship, but also mindset for sales and marketing and scaling and growth. So we went into the science of the mindset required for success as an entrepreneur or somebody that's trying to build something out. So if you want to go listen to more of this type of content, go check out the Wired for Success podcast. Again, this is me being invited as a guest on the Wired for Success podcast. And welcome back to a brand new episode of the Wired for Success podcast, where we talk about all things science, self-development and entrepreneurship that help you get to that next level of success in your life and business. Today, I'm bringing you another interview episode. And my guest today is business executive, entrepreneur and podcast host, Scott D. Clary. He has sold and marketed to the most iconic Fortune 500 brands throughout his career. His work has been featured in over 100 news sites and publications. He speaks globally at industry conferences and has had articles in Insights featured in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Hacker Noon, The Startup, and others. He currently runs a global software as a service sales and marketing organization and is the host of the Success Story podcast, where he interviews inspirational people, mentors, and leaders. So I'm really looking forward to hearing his insights on what's working and what's not working in digital marketing and sales right now. So welcome, Scott, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show today. Thank you, Claudia, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So let's start by talking a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing. It sounds like you're still working a nine to five while building your business as a side hustle. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So um, I think from a young age, uh, firstly, I guess it would help to get some context from the family that I came from, just a very brief primer. So my, my background is not in entrepreneurship. My background is not even in private industry or tech. Uh, family is mostly law enforcement, um, police. Uh, uh, father worked for CSIS, which for to put it in perspective is similar to like a Canadian uh, Secret Service Intelligence CIA type. Uh, yeah, so very, very, um, you know, 
a family of government, but in, in the law enforcement realm, um, my my path was probably going to be, I thought it was going to be either law enforcement or or criminal law or some form of law. I was in pre-law criminology in university, um, started uh, working in tech for a telco early on in my career as I was coming out of high school throughout university, um, ended up making good money in sales in tech, uh, just realized that I was quite good at it and always sort of was in that top percentile of people that I worked with in, in whatever group I was in because I had moved up. I moved up for di through different departments as my career progressed. Um, company was Bell Canada, which is a very, very large telco in, in Canada. Um, and as I was finishing up my undergrad, um, I, I kind of had the choice. I could keep going and keep seeing where my career could take me, or I could go and I could go back to school, potentially law school. I actually finished all the tests required for policing, um, but I chose not to go down that path or apply for any police forces, um, chose not to go back to law school. I said, I'll give myself till I'm 30, see how much money I can make. And if, you know, I can't make it in tech and I can't, I can't really, really, you know, be an executive of a, uh, you know, a director, VP, whatever of a large company, then maybe I'll, I'll revisit my career. But I was doing well, I was doing very well. And I, I felt like every year, almost, I was either moving to a different department or, you know, there was some, there was some progression every single year because of my performance. And I thought, well, it's silly to just cut this short. Let's see how far I can take this. So anyways, mm -hmm. so after university, kept working, same, same company for Bell for a while, um, moved into a sales leadership role at another company, um, then sales and marketing leadership, and then moved into individual consulting for a while. Uh, because of course, as a young ambitious salesperson and sales and marketing person, you thought you're God's gift to business, which you obviously aren't, but you thought, you know, oh, look at what I've done in my career. Like I'm making X amount of dollars. Somebody else can benefit from, you know, what I've learned. And obviously you find out very quickly that you aren't that special and it's difficult to just go into a consulting business. Um, I tried it on my own, uh, was overworked, tired, you know, stressed out, did it with partners uh, who I found who were also trying to be like, almost like fractional CXOs, so outsourced CXOs. Um, and it, it was a little bit better. Uh, we, we closed some large accounts as fractional CXOs, had some great contracts, but still at the end of the day, um, it, was, it was all of our first forays into entrepreneurship and consulting. And it was difficult because as a consultant, anybody who's a consultant will, will recognize this. You put in your 40 hours of client work and then you have to post to social, go find new customers. You have to go build like, and that's the stuff that you start at five o'clock at night or six o'clock at night, right? So, because mm -hmm. we had the long-term contracts that we were very happy with, we were actually in, in one company, various companies, but we were in office for like, you know, we'd drive down into the office, show up at nine o'clock, work for five hours as a, as a fractional CXO, and then you drive home and then you're like, okay, so this contract is gonna be great for six months. But what do we do after that? Because you realize it's not a job, it's a contract and you're the consultant. So um, you have to go figure out how to get more business. Anyway, so it was difficult. None of us were really set up for it properly. We didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, so I, well, we all went our separate ways. We all went back to work for companies. We all went back into permanent executive roles in companies. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what's led me to where I'm at now. So I joined one particular company. Um, it, it was called Excitem. They've now been acquired because I've worked with them over the past two years to grow their business. They were acquired about 
uh, you know, we're recording this July 1st, about a month and a half ago. Um, so it was, it was a successful two years. Um, but over the course of that two years, again, something that will resonate with entrepreneurs. If you, it, I went into consulting, I knew that it was not going perfect. I knew there's a better way to build my own thing. So I joined a company and I, and I thought there was an opportunity there and there was, and it, and it did well. And, and I did good work over the past two years, but also I was still building out my podcast while I was there. I was uh, building out an email list, which now has uh, parlayed into a newsletter that I send out. Um, so it turned into a full-time job plus side hustle as that as my newer version of entrepreneurship. And that's worked out well. It's been a more sustainable version. We can talk about um, you know, sustainability, long-term, long-term entrepreneurship, side hustles. That's what I've lived over the past two and a half years. And that's what has led the podcast to be a success has led the newsletter and the email list and, and the brand that I've built to be successful. Um, not, not the, not successful as in like, I'm the epitome of podcasts. I'm the epitome of, of people that write newsletters, but uh, it, it's, it's growing. And in my mind, that's the metric that I look for. Is it growing? Am I getting a larger community? Am I getting more people listening, more people reading the newsletter, whatever it may be, what's your metric, but it, by all accounts across, you know, all the different things that I do on the side, they're all growing. And now they've grown to the point where they're turning into more viable businesses because I've built a, a, a fair amount of, you know, audience around these assets. And that's where I'm at now. So that's sort of my, my story. Uh, that's my, that's my Coles note story. So that's a very interesting story. And I mean, do you see yourself staying um, with on that trajectory long-term? So do you want to stay, um, an employee and an entrepreneur at the same time, or do you plan on leaving your company? We don't yeah. Have them. We don't have them. <laughs> um, that's a good, well, I think, I think it would be uh, naive to say that somebody who is very entrepreneurial, excuse me, would stay with the company for the next 30 years. Right. Now, when, when do I leave? That's a good question. And I don't know. And I don't know if I leave, and I even have perhaps one more career for it. That's also not off the table. Um, right now, what I'm doing, I'm doing fun work. And, I, and the reason why I haven't decided if I'm going to leave is because, first of all, I've built out processes and systems to allow myself to maintain the same growth trajectory on my podcast and my newsletter and my community and my brand and potentially launch new things across that audience without having to commit extra of my hours. Mm -hmm. So I can still work 50 hours a week for a job. And I have now built out this, now, I now I'm building out a team that can actually support the side hustle because now the side hustle is monetized. So now this is something that is a little bit more sustainable long-term. And the reason why I don't feel the need to leave anything yet is because, um, the topics that I discuss in my newsletter, in my podcast are relevant and in line with what I live and do every single day. Right. So I speak about marketing, uh, tech, innovation, business, entrepreneurship, sales, all the stuff that I literally do. Like when, when I break down how to market, how to take a product to market, how to uh, develop demand, how to find new leads, how to run an outbound campaign. This is all stuff that I do 
in my day to day. So it's easy for me to speak about and it's easy for me to stay relevant because I'm always trying to figure out how to do it better for my actual product and my actual company. And it's also because I have the opportunity to, because it was in a, a startup that was acquired, now I'm responsible for, think about it like an innovation unit within a company. So mm -hmm. I'm responsible for new ideas, new software, taking it across. And to put it in perspective, uh, we were acquired by Grass Valley. Grass Valley is a $600 million business. They have about 100 sales reps, 400 channel partners globally. I'm a small innovation unit within that that has software products that I can take across this huge organization, this huge sales organization and a marketing organization. And I can test things at scale that normally in a startup environment, I wouldn't be able to just because we don't have the resources. So that's also exciting. So when do you leave? Well, you leave when obviously you don't enjoy the work you're doing. But even if, even if I did leave Grass Valley, I don't know if it would be the end of my career because I think I still enjoy working in startup environments. I still enjoy really doing incredible stuff. And there will be a day, I think, that if the growth of the podcast and, and my personal brand takes off, I have to decide what do I do with that audience? What do I do with that show? And, you know, is it is it consulting again done right? Is it selling something? Is it, who knows, maybe it's just building up a big enough network that you have some sort of setup like uh, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire, where he makes $100,000 to $200,000 a month just in ad revenue because he has such a huge listenership for his podcast. Who knows? But I can tell you, even if I was at that level, it would still be fun to work with companies. Maybe it wouldn't be what I need to do because you're making a lot of money other places. But you, if you like doing it, then it's not something you ever really want to give up. So yeah as long as you enjoy it it's there's a difference because some people keep staying at a at a company because they are afraid they are afraid to, to take that leap of faith and be yes. on their own so that's one big thing but if you say it's less fear driven for you it's more like joy driven because you enjoy what you do so i guess that's different yes of course and don't get me wrong it's naive to say that um i would love just getting rid of my paycheck but but i'll tell you one thing because i've built up everything that i've done gradually and i've built it up in a way that's sustainable and i can manage it while i'm still working um now the audience for the podcast is big the audience for the newsletter is large enough where i can monetize it i have sponsors and the revenue coming in from that is equal or greater to the salary so it's at the point where I could, like I could just focus and pivot and quit. But it, again, it's about what you, what you want to do. So I don't feel the need to do it yet. I do feel the need to hire good people to build out a process, to build out systems that allow me to scale up my, my side hustle that is making good money so that I don't have to work 14 hour days. Yeah, That's what I feel the need to do. But that I don't feel I need to quit yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you you're doing it yourself. You, you know what? You yeah. Know what you know exactly what I'm talking about. I so, do. And you can't yeah. work 14 hour days. Well, you can for a short period of time, but at some point, your system, like your body's system, is just going to break down. So yeah. what do you want to avoid? Now we all know that entrepreneurship is this huge roller coaster, and you have these ups and downs, and you have all those new challenges that arise on a constant basis. So I'm curious at this point in your career, what, what aspects of your life and business do you find most challenging to manage right now? What aspects of my life and business do I find most challenging? So we've kind of touched on this 
Um, we kind of touched on this before. And I think this is, this is relevant because this is something that anybody who's ambitious enough to try and build their own thing will have some hint of this personality quirk in them. So, you know, you're very kind. Um, I missed two podcast recording sessions before this. And you said, this has never happened before. You said, Scott, you missed one more, you're cut. And I said, oh my God, Claudia, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, please. So you asked why. So, so I, I was in the process of moving over the past two months and um, moving is al already tough, but I have the personality quirk of, so it's so funny. Like, so, so my, my, my spouse, my, my better half. And, you know, I, I say that because we're supposed to get, we're supposed to get married quite soon, but we're not yet because of COVID. So we actually put it off because of COVID anyway. So that's going to be in the next, you know, six months, a year where we're going to get married and she would never have a Zoom wedding. She'd kill me. But so, <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, so she is of the mindset of like, if you, you know, if we're moving, of course you want to get it done, but like it doesn't all have to be done day one. Mm -hmm. So when the boxes come in and you move your boxes in, you know, you're, you're going to take some time. You're going to, over the next, two, three weeks, you're going to unpack the boxes. For me, it's like, I get anxiety if it's not done that day. <laughs> like if the, like, <laughs> which is, is not a, it's not a normal, realistic expectation of moving. You can't expect to unpack and put up everything and cut all the cardboard boxes and put it all away and build all the furniture. But like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And, and it, it, it's even worse now because so, you know, we, we moved, a, we moved a, a big move because we were in a home and we were moving some stuff to one condo and moving some stuff to another condo and whatnot. So we were splitting everything up. And obviously if you, you, you have to get some new stuff for both locations because you don't have double of everything. So, you know, we're getting some furniture we have to build and whatnot. And like when the boxes come in, like I have four bookshelves sitting in like that room right there. And it's like causing me anxiety that I can't start building them <laughs> or getting them finished until Saturday. Well, cause I have, I have a lot of stuff to do, but normally maybe before this move, um, before I basically worked myself to the point where like I was over exhausted and, and, you know, when you're overexhausted, when you, when you wake up in the morning after working, after working your job or whatever, and you also end up building stuff or unpacking at night. And I can tell I'm overexhausted when I start to sleep through my alarm. Yeah. When, when regardless of, I could have a, like the alarm's loud. It's like a, you know, whatever. It's not a peaceful alarm. It's not like a nice little melody that wakes you up. It's like, I do the, the, the loud alarm. Right. And when I, when I sleep through that in the morning, that's when you know that you've over, like you've done it too much because that, that's your body telling you something. Exactly. And, and it got to the point where during this move, because I was trying to do everything at once and unpack everything at once, I would sleep through two, three, four alarms in the morning. Um, and, and it wasn't like I was waking up hitting snooze. It was just sleep right through them. So I think that that's something that I, I struggle with. That's a personality trait that I struggle with. And it can be effect. Obviously, you can see that, that could be an effective personality trait in the right context, but it can be taken to an extreme, which is not healthy, obviously. And then you and then actually end up doing more harm than good because you're back sore or whatever. And and you slept through and now you maybe you missed a phone call for work or whatever, but you know you're not getting anything done the next day either because you're you're done. You're 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 exhausted. So that's something that um I guess it could be a blessing and a curse depending on, on what you're trying to take on. But I think you have to be self-aware of that personality quirk because entrepreneurs will always try and do too much. Um, and it's, it's compounded when you are a, a, a less experienced entrepreneur trying to build something and 
say it's compounded with another another quite common personality quirk for an entrepreneur is to chase the shiny mm. the shiny object right to chase the new thing and to to try new things all the time but again it's a great thing to have that curiosity yeah, yeah. but that compounded with needing to get it done right away can lead to you physically burning yourself out and hurting yourself and then long term um being less effective if, if if effective at all if doing anything at all but I think that's something that I've always struggled with and I have to be cognizant of. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a very slippery slope. And mm -hmm. I've been there. I've had the like the 80, I've worked the 80 hour weeks at when yeah. I was still at university. I know what it's like. And I I ended up with a burnout. I ended up with leukemia. So I I know wow. it can down, it can go down a very <laughs> a very negative path and you don't want to get there. So you want to be really aware of what's going on so that you mm -hmm. can, you know, you can stop it from happening because there's a point where you can still stop it. And then you, yeah. you have a point where you can't stop what you've started anymore Agreed. or you, you can, but it will take a long time to get back to where you were before. And it's just so much harder. So, yeah. Let's talk about digital marketing and sure. sales strategies. So what's sure. working right what's working right now and what is not working when it comes to selling products and services online? Sure. So the things that are not working um, are blasting out automated campaigns to hundreds of thousands of people, the spray and pray model of sales, right? This this is yep. not a where you just reach out to as many people as you can. You the message is the same to everybody and you're just hoping that some person accidentally buys your product. Mm -hmm. So if that's your sales strategy, it's probably not going to work or it's not going to work very well or you're just going to end up, you know, upsetting a lot of people in the process. Mm -hmm. So uh in terms of sales, uh if you are going to be selling something, I do believe that sales has to be aligned with your marketing approach and how you're building out your own personal brand and everything like you're doing Claudia and that's that's the way I believe you should build out your own brand so that it can reinforce sales and when you are doing sales um, a very simple we'll talk about marketing in a second but a very simple framework to be successful at sales is first uh, you identify the companies that you want to actually target. So this is mm -hmm. in more technical jargon, uh, ideal customer profile. Yeah. And then you target uh, the person within the company, the the persona, the the you know it could be like CMO or uh, you know VP sales or director of finance. It doesn't matter. You figure mm -hmm. out the person within the company that you want to target. So the persona. And then when you're actually going to reach out to them, a very uh, simple outbound strategy of course you it depends on what product you're selling but usually you're going to email linkedin phone and you will use uh something called a why you why now framework for the content that you actually put in your outreach and really it's not so complicated like the name suggests the why you why now is explaining why am i reaching out to you obviously if i'm telling if i'm if i'm answering that question in the email obviously you know you have like a you have like an actual uh, 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 actual outbound sales email with the call to action, but you're saying, why am I reaching out to you right now? So why is this 
thing that I'm selling personalized to you? What's the reason for me even emailing you? You have to figure that out and you have to do some research. We have to figure that out. That's step one of personalizing your sales message. And then step two is why now? So why now? Why is there an event in the, in the life cycle of the customer that warrants me reaching out to them? Why does it make sense? What's relevant in your life that would make whatever I'm selling helpful to you? So the why you, why now is just, um, it was, it, it, I can't remember who actually thought through this originally, if I'm not mistaken, there's some really great sales, you know, gurus, uh, like not, not, not gurus in the bad sense, like, and like, they're very smart and they're, and they're well-known names. Um, I think John Barrows is a great sales leader to follow. I know he's a great sales leader to follow, but I think that was his framework, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am mistaken, I'm very sorry to whoever is not John. There's also Jeff Hoffman, who has a, uh, a great framework. He also could be responsible. I'm blanking on who's actually responsible for building this framework, but it's quite simple, right? It's very simple at its core. These are the things that you want to answer in the email that you're sending out or in the LinkedIn message you're sending out or in the phone call. You have to make sure that it's personalized, relevant, and timely as well. There has to be a timely event in the customer's business that makes it so that they would care about your product or your service right. that you're offering. So that's a very quick and simple framework for automatically being a better seller of your services. Now, the second component of that, um, okay, it's great to just send emails and to whatever, send messages on LinkedIn, but let's also, you know, let's focus on the marketing thing. So the brand, and you want to build up your brand and the way to market, the way to market in 2021, in my opinion, the most effective way is to become a media company, is to create content across as many social platforms as you can. You need to have a framework and a process for creating content so you can do it at scale. Um, the framework that I personally use, um, I think you use it, you, you do the same thing where you record one long form piece of content. Yeah. And in that podcast that we're having right now, we're discussing things that you want to eventually turn into shorter pieces of content that you're going to push across all your social. So you have that one long form piece and then you take that and you're breaking it. And then you take that long form piece video goes on YouTube, the, yeah. the podcast. Now you have an audio goes to a podcast. You can even take this, you can transcribe it. You can do show notes. You turn it into a blog. You break the video into small little clips or the audio into small little clips that can go across Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, uh, you know, you could do YouTube shorts. If you break it into sub 30 second clips, you could do like TikTok reels, Snapchat spotlight, uh, Twitter stories, um, all this, all the small short form video things. So that all stems from that first piece of content, that first long form piece of content. Um, this strategy, again, it's not new. You'll see a lot of people talk about this, but this is just the easiest way to build out a content strategy that allows you to place your content everywhere. And it also feeds into more it also is like we're talking about social media because mm -hmm. you're pushing across all social but remember even if you take this long form piece of content you now have a conversation between you know claudia and scott you write some show notes you it's an interview style you post that on your website now you're actually feeding into your seo strategy and you're driving traffic because yeah. now you're posting more content on your website so in my opinion focus on being a media company focus on creating content and that's how you market yourself effectively in in 20 in 2021 um yeah i'm trying to think of bad examples of marketing but i think a bad example of marketing is somebody who's just not doing that because <laughs> that's how that's that's how people get to know you right that's how yeah. and it's tough because you have to show up all the time but that's why you don't want to just 
just push stuff out over social without any plan or any strategy or any process because you'll burn out. You it's not because it's you'll just you'll just burn out. So you just have to have a process. And this is probably the easiest process to follow because you don't have to create all the time for every platform individually. You just create once, distribute forever. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. So I I haven't really started my YouTube channel yet. Well, I've created one, but I haven't really started putting content out. But I'm I'm using my my podcast. I'm mm-hmm. putting the um the transcription app as a blog post so for the seo and everything yeah. and i use it on pinterest snippets that's smart I, yeah. you can do video even video on pinterest so this goes out it goes out on facebook on instagram on linkedin so it's just all repurposed content and yeah that is i'll give you one more that you didn't you yeah. probably don't think of because i actually forget this for myself and i have to do it more but we just spoke of, you asked me a whole bunch of questions we spoke about a couple topics if you transcribe it, you can you can now see all the different timestamps and you can see when we spoke about different topics. So now you can actually break it down into almost like a Q&A format if you really wanted to. But nice. what you can do, you can go to Quora and you can find people asking questions about topics that we discussed on the show. And you take the stuff that we spoke about and the answers that you got, and then you go answer people on Quora. And that's going to drive traffic from Quora too. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about Quora. Quora and Pinterest are two things that if you can get well, if you can figure them out, they can mm-hmm. drive traffic. But most people forget about them. And I don't know. I, don't, I, I try Pinterest and I, I still can't get it quite right. But I know that I've used this strategy for Quora and I do get significant traffic from Quora. Okay. So that's another one. Yeah, I have to try that. At some point, yeah. Pinterest worked really well. And then something happened and I wasn't consistent anymore. <laughs> that's that's okay. usually, yeah, that's it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the case with most. <laughs> you stop being consistent and you, you know, yeah. <clears throat> everything goes downhill. So what marketing trends do you see emerging right now? And what changes do you predict based on those trends? So the trends, uh, who, how, who, somebody, this was a, an answer to, I can't remember who told me this on the podcast, but I thought it was very prolific and insightful. Um, find out what your nieces and nephews are oh. looking at <laughs> and find a way to market there. Doesn't matter what your business is. That's what you have to find a way to market on. So it does, like, it, it's going to be another platform. There'll be more platforms. There'll be more channels. There'll be more things that you can do. Go find out where the youngest generation is spending their time and find a way. I don't care if you're selling shoes, <laughs> cars, food, figure out a way to turn it into a con- into a content format that plays nice with whatever platform or channel that is. And if you do that and you understand that, you'll always be a successful marketer because that's really what it is at the end of the day. Like, look at, you have, you had Vine and now you have TikTok. Now you have Reels and that like, it's never like all these new channels are never going away. Now you have even more um, like niche channels. Like you have like BitClout, which is like a new one which is like a brand new cryptocurrency social media platform. That's like, it's almost like Twitter. Like just find out what people that are in the know mm-hmm. who are younger, who are, are always, always looking for new places to consume content, find out where they're at, find a way to take your brand to that platform. And that's how you'll win. Okay. And that's just the, the mindset that you have to have as a CMO, as an entrepreneur, it doesn't really matter. You can be a CMO of a fortune 100 company. If you ignore that, if you ignore that advice, that simple advice, you will eventually become, maybe maybe you'll be too big to fail for many years, but I I think many people thought like Blockbuster wouldn't fail 
or you know like people thought you know like like all these different like use cases of people and and examples and case studies of people that were enormous gigantic companies that for not always for marketing purposes they also there was also business issues that they they didn't really tackle but regardless it's the same mindset the same mindset of somebody that's going to you know, go through a digital transformation in their business is going to be the same mindset of somebody, a CEO, executive CMO is going to try and figure out a way to get some content on TikTok. It's a mindset that you have to have. And I think that that's really important. What about Clubhouse? I saw that you were in Clubhouse mm. too. Is that something that we should all pay more attention to? Or what do you think? So that's a good one. So I actually, I'm, I'm not great at Clubhouse and some people are. I think that... I think that there was a, a time when Clubhouse first started mm -hmm. when you could use it to get massive exposure. Mm -hmm. I think that there's what's happened with Clubhouse is you when you first started, you got massive organic reach and you could use it to build a great following. And if you built a great following, then then you can still use it because now you have a following. But the issue that I see with Clubhouse and and some of the download numbers I think reflect this is it's such a time consuming platform that it is, it is, it's so time consuming that it, it inhibits you to be effective long-term just because you have to have a job. You have to have, you know, take care of your family. You have to, like, it's, it's like, I can, I can start on Twitter today and I can bulk, uh, I can like batch schedule my posts and I can do that for two years with relatively little disruption in my life, right? I can write a couple of posts on a Sunday afternoon. I can schedule them. And after like two years of tweeting, I'm going to start developing an audience. But if I have to, for like two years, go on Clubhouse with zero presence and, and spend an hour, two hours, three hours every single day on there with no, with no following, that's very inhibitive. And I think that that's why you see like downloads on Clubhouse have dropped like 90%. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. I personally haven't figured it out and I've tried to figure it out. And I feel like it's just too, I feel like there's better ways to build out an audience. Again, we're talking about sustainability, long-term, you know, uh, managing your, your life, your family, potentially your career. I think you have to be cognizant and aware of that. And I think that that has to drive your strategy. And for me, that's why I'm not spending as much time on Clubhouse because there's other ways to have a higher uh, ROI on the time invested for the yeah. time being. I was wondering about that platform and you know, the live launch method is one of those strategies that has been around for years and that mm -hmm. work really well where people um, run all those challenges, but now you see challenges. Everyone runs challenges. It doesn't work as well as before. I was wondering, maybe we could take that format, like the live launch strategy and have it on clubhouse something like that so kind of like yeah a uh, sort of master class or a series of master classes for people to join but, see i don't mind that idea but the issue with clubhouse is i don't get anybody's email I, it's <laughs> less it's it's less than like i can't i can't just i can't even message somebody i, I, I don't think yeah you can't you can't message somebody on the platform so like so that's you know the you know you never build a what's what's the saying you never build like a whatever a castle in someone else's whatever garden or whatever whatever the saying is and it, like 
that's already an issue with many social media platforms because people get deplatformed or they get their account hacked or a variety of reasons they lose their audience, right? Look at the, the most prolific example would be Donald Trump, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the epitome of losing an audience. But um, that happens to a lot of people for a variety of reasons, not, not, always, the, not always because they get deplatformed or banned, they get their account, whatever. But that's why I always bring it back to, you know, you have to control your interaction. You have to build a community that you can control, not control the interaction, build a community you can control. So you have to, that's why I lead people back to signing up for a newsletter because then it's an email that I have mm -hmm. that I can directly communicate. And I think that that's something to be said. And that's why, you know, do I want to invest? Do I want to invest that much time in building like there has to be an ROI right like so that means yeah. that if I'm going to be on Clubhouse if I'm going to be on Clubhouse and do a live launch on Clubhouse that means that the ROI on investing in Clubhouse my time on Clubhouse has to have enough organic reach that it's eventually going to lead back to all my other social assets or my email list that I can build that community and use it in five years from now, whenever I want to do something with it. But if it doesn't have it, if it doesn't have that organic reach, then Clubhouse uses its utility. It doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's what I like Twitter spaces. It's the same thing as Clubhouse, but then at least with Twitter spaces, I have the ability to build a Twitter community. Because I already have Twitter and I can DM people anytime. And then hopefully, you know, I can, I get a, I get a, I get a huge organic reach on Twitter, like, like millions of impressions on Twitter. And then Twitter is actually my number one, um, number one uh, referrer for my email list. Wow. Surprisingly enough, even though it's not my biggest following, it's my number one referrer for my email list, my newsletter. And I, I use my email list for my newsletter right now. But I mean, like, if you have a, if you have a strong email list, I, I, I know people that have such a great email list and I don't sell courses right now but I know people that do sell courses and I remember I spoke to one guy who had a great email list and he said Scott our email list was so good that if we launched a course I could guarantee that in 24 hours I'd make a hundred thousand dollars because every time I sent an email that was the average amount of people that would buy whatever I put out and it's just like it's now now it's like you know that obviously that's that's an incredible figure to to have that that guaranteed 100k every time like we're talking millions of email obviously it's not like a, a thing for somebody just starting out to expect but that's the power of having an email list and you can't tell me that um i've never seen somebody with a clubhouse room that if they launch something in a clubhouse room they're mm -hmm. going to get a hundred thousand dollars in sales from that clubhouse room because you can't even properly communicate that you can't in, in what are you in a in a in a audio format are you going to say like go to www.scottscourse.com and you're expecting that many people to convert from a from you telling them that some will but mm -hmm. i don't think it's the the most efficient uh, efficient or effective way so and i feel like now i'm just hating on, on clubhouse which is not good um because i know that some people really really spend a lot of time on it but I just haven't seen, it doesn't seem practical to me. I am so glad you said that because I'm on Clubhouse, but I haven't really spent time on it trying to figure it out. So I'm glad I talked to you before I started to spend a lot of time. I don't want to dissuade people. I want people to experiment and, and explore. And I've also, I, I would also love to spend, but again, it's time, right? Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't build my podcast audience. I didn't build my newsletter. I didn't build most of my following, which is it's growing every single day by spending any time on Clubhouse. Yeah. So in my opinion, like, do you think that I would have achieved 5% accelerated growth by spending more time? Maybe, but maybe not. And I'm happy with the progress that I'm making right now. 
So, and especially you're talking, you have entrepreneurs on the show that are considering building their own thing on the side, which I always advocate for. Don't quit your job, start to build something, take it slow. You don't have to quit day one with no capital, no backup, and just start a business. Like if we're talking about that work-life balance, if you want to have a full-time job and start something, you have to be very, very aware of, of your time. That's very important. Yeah. Now, maybe you can expand a little bit on that marketing topic. I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with lead generation. And for many, it's the least enjoyable part of running the business. So would you mind sharing out your current favorite lead gen strategy with our audience? Sure. Was it the outbound um, send email that we talked about? It was, it's a bit of that. Yeah. that that's what I use for like my business. That's what I use for, um, that's, that's literally what I use for what I, like when I'm selling software or anything really, but obviously I'm in, I'm in software. So um, I would say uh, a, an unexpected lead gen tool would be Twitter or LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Because again, if you build up enough following and you, and you speak about what you do and you make it clear what you do for a living and what you sell or what you want to sell, you will have people reaching out to you and asking for that. And even if you don't make it clear, you, I still have like, cause I just, I, I don't sell anything, but people come to me and say, Hey, can you, you know, do some marketing consulting, do some sales consulting. Can you help me with this, that, or the other, because I saw your post. Um, so, you know, build it and they will come kind of, but not you know, like in all seriousness. And, but also at the same time. So that's why I always say be a media company, because if you be a media company, focus on creating content around what you do for a living. And if what you do for a living is coaching or consulting, or you have a course, if you want to have a course, like whatever it is, if you constantly talk about that, on social, not talk about it as in sell it, but talk about topics that are adjacent to what you do and make sure those topics are helpful and they're answering questions about people that could potentially be customers would be asking about that particular topic or industry or whatnot. And if that's your content strategy, then people see that you do have something, then they'll be reaching out to you to buy it because they, they'll see you as the, as the subject matter expert in this particular field. So I would say for lead gen, that's probably the easiest form of lead gen because you don't have to sell. You are selling, you're selling every single day, but you're not selling in the traditional sense where you're reaching out and you're you know, cold calling people and whatnot. So if you build a great social presence and you have a product and you speak about content on your social that is in line with that product, that will be lead gen. And then secondly, for a more pure outbound approach, yes, I use like, a, so you know, in terms of tools, um, Apollo.io is a great email outbound tool that lets you run sequences. Um, having that framework to understand what to put in the emails uh, so that they're personalized and they're not spammy is important too for outbound um, in terms of like an outbound campaign in a more traditional business to business context. Like if you had, for example, an inside sales rep, uh, you know, data shows that you have to reach out to somebody between seven to 15 times across various channels before they respond to you. That This is, we're talking more like traditional large enterprise business sales, but um, uh, you, can, you can bring that down. So like right now, one of my sales reps will probably reach out to uh, a VP selling software. They're selling a software product. They'll, they'll reach out a few times via email, LinkedIn, and phone. And those will be the three channels that they're going to be reaching out. And there's, you know, you set up a, ca a cadence for, uh, you know, day one, send an email, day two, yeah. LinkedIn, day three, give them a phone call, leave a voicemail. That's a very formalized sales process.
but you can use that process and, and bring it down to whatever you're trying to sell. So if you don't have a, an audience day one, sales is sale, like sales is tough. Like there's no, there's no way around it, but at least if you understand how to position and, and the content that you should put into the messaging that you send out into the world, to the people that want to buy your product, it will be a little bit, it, it will be a little bit more appreciated and it won't be as, uh, it won't be as rough. It, it, that's the best way to put it. Um, and then you figure out like, maybe I, I don't feel comfortable calling. That's fine. So it's no problem. Know that, know that you will be slightly less effective, but you can still email and LinkedIn people because you don't feel like cold calling them. You don't have time, whatever. You can email LinkedIn people and that will bring you some leads. Um, right. And that's, that, that, that's really, you know, that's not a magic secret sales formula, but if you are at least um, an empathetic seller and like i said you you make sure that it isn't just garbage that you're sending out to people um it will bring you some results and if you can master that down then then you can sort of start to grow the side hustle a little bit a little bit quicker and it's yeah. it, you'll, you'll notice results immediately it's not it's not like a very difficult thing if you have a good product and have a good product of course that's that that is the key to everything <laughs> have a good product that's that's that you know i didn't even mention that but if you don't have a good product um doesn't matter how much you market or sell people will just discover the bad product quicker so have a good product that's that's the number one most important thing so have a good product content yes. marketing strategy Correct. and personalized social selling yes that sounds yes, yes you nailed it yeah nice you just we didn't even have to do this podcast you could have just done three bullet points tag me in a post and be like scott this is what you mean right I'm like yes yeah <laughs> very good Awesome. So now that we've talked about some social media platforms and lead gen strategy, let's talk about sales. So sales okay. is another thing that, that so many people struggle with. Now, you have worked with a lot of the big names in the industry, but I guess you've also had sales calls with, say, mm -hmm. beginners or intermediate stage entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. So you have seen it all and you have heard it all. Now, can yes. we <laughs> talk about mindset differences for a moment? So a business coach, a business coach friend of mine recently posted a funny meme about this topic. And I'd love to hear your experiences with this. So here's the meme. So she said, a $500 client says, I just feel as though with this investment I'm about to make in you that we should understand how our lives are about to change and I need results and I need you to bring them and I'm entrusting you with our livelihood and our lives. Whereas the $5,000, uh, $50,000 client says, says uh, money sent, thanks. <laughs> Is that your <laughs> experience too? That is a hundred percent my experience. That is right. so accurate. Um, the 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 fifty thousand dollar client is the maybe a sl a slight bit more work, but it, you know anybody who sold anything will realize the fifty thousand dollar client is not much more work than the five hundred dollar client, but they're way less headache. Um, and this is why it comes down to that first point that I said about if you're going to sell or market anything those two pieces, the ideal customer profile and the buyer persona. The ideal customer profile will drive most of your interactions. And when I say ideal customer profile, I didn't really go into targeting. And what I mean by targeting is you're, you're so you have to decide which businesses you wanna to sell to. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the variables that you choose is how much revenue do they have? How many employees do they have? Um, how long have they been around? What industries are they in? 
all, these are the variables that make up that profile. You're making a profile on a company. Yeah. If you don't have a profile and you just send it out to everybody, then you'll get small, you'll get big. But if you have that profile that guides all of your sales efforts, your sales outreach, you won't run into customers you don't want to sell to. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's actually um, an under-discussed point about sales for people that aren't in, if you're in sales, you speak with us a lot. But if you aren't in sales, um, you may not realize how important it is to qualify out, mm. to, to get rid yeah. of people yeah. that aren't proper customers. Mm. Like don't chase $500 because you got to think of the long-term implications mm. of running with a $500 client. If you're a coach, if you're whatever, if you, if there, if you have to be involved in the deliverables of a service and, and yeah. you have to physically give up hours um, to be the one who's on site or to be on zoom calls or whatever, that time invested is time taken away from potential other clients. So that's why it's important to identify who you want to reach out to but also to get rid of people that aren't the right fit. I totally And you, <laughs> that's a big thing that, that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into that trap because they chase, they chase money, mm -hmm. which is fine. And that's also why you don't want to quit your job. So you don't have to chase money. Yeah. So you can say no to customers that aren't the right fits. You can focus on, you can focus on customers that are the $50,000 that have a logo people recognize that won't give you a headache, that will be a great referral that people will look at that brand when you're done that job and they'll be like, wow, this person is legit. They just closed X Fortune 500 company. You're not going to get all those benefits if you don't have a job and you need to make rent or you need to, you know, God forbid, put food on the table and you are running out of money and you're taking all these small little $500 clients that are clogging up all your, all your, all your spare time. So that, that is so accurate. That is, I've seen that meme before, actually, but it's, so it's a hundred percent. It's true, right? It's, yeah, it is. It so is. Do you think it's easier, like in general, it's easier to sell to established entrepreneurs or to newbies? Or would you say it depends more on the personality than on the business stage? Sell. So, so sorry. So I'm selling to, you're saying an established entrepreneur? Yeah. So is, as it, a, is it easier to sell to one of those established entrepreneurs or to a newbie, someone who's just mm -hmm. starting out? Or would you say it depends more on their personalities than on their business stage? I don't think the business stage matters. No? I think it's more, no, because if you think about it, the only reason I say that, well, it depends on what you're selling, of course. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you're selling, so you, if you're selling to a person, well, no, I don't think it matters because somebody who's starting a business What if they, what if they have, uh, what if they have a net worth of a hundred million dollars and they're starting a new business? Well, that business is new, but they have, they have the capital to invest. Right. Sure. But if you're selling to somebody who, uh, again, quit their job to go start their business and they can barely make rent, well, that's not going to be a good customer. So I think that I, I think there's more nuance to it than, than just whether or not they're new or they're they're more experienced. Now, I guess somebody who has a lot of money to spend, technically they would be more experienced. I think you just have to be clear about, I think you have to be clear about what you're offering. I think you have to be clear about the customer expectations as well, the deliverables, what it is. Um, say you have somebody who's more experienced and they can understand what they're purchasing. Uh, well, that's, that's akin to selling to the person who spends $50,000, right? Mm. You're selling to somebody yeah. who knows what they're getting. And somebody who knows what they're getting is going to be more confident and probably be able to spend more on whatever product or service you're selling anyways. 
and understand the deliverables. I, I would say, yeah, I would say less about experience and more about personality. I don't say personality, because it's not really personality, but maybe I'm trying to think how, that's a good question, actually. That's because a really good question. What I see sometimes is that beginners, I mean, not always, but they tend to be more price shoppers and more experienced mm. people tend to be more value shoppers. So but how do you vet that? You're not going to say like, oh, how long have you been in business? No. You, you, can't, you can't tell until you talk to them. So it's hard to... But maybe that brings us back to qualifying out. Exactly. So maybe that's why you do a discovery call and then you qualify out when you realize that they're price shopping and they say, well, if I want to work with you, I need to have X amount of deliverables. I need to, I need to do this. And, and it's a hard, it's a unreasonable thing that they're asking for in terms of what they expect from working with you. Then that's when I would qualify out. Yeah. So I think it's less, I think it's less, actually, this is my final answer on this one. <laughs> I think. Um, I think it's less about who you're working with and more about your ability to figure out and ask the right questions and to qualify out or to say they're a good client. I think it's on you to figure that out, not on them. Probably. Yeah, yeah I think that's probably the most, I think that's probably the best advice I can give. Because if you ask the right questions and you have the confidence to qualify people or qualify, say they're the right fit or not, then I think that's, I, I think that's probably the best way to work with a, a group or a customer group that you may not have the ability to really investigate because when you're selling to business, you really can find out when they were founded. You can find out how many employees they have. You can go on LinkedIn. You can even, if it's a big enough entrepreneur and they have a team, you can go on LinkedIn and you always do your research before you do the call anyway. So you should have a good idea. You can also see like, you know, what does their website look like? What type of, you know, like, do they, do they have a team behind them? What have they done in the past? A quick Google search. Have they been functioning in this space for a while now? I think you can fairly, you can tell pretty quickly who's legit and who's not legit as in like they're, they're running a legitimate business, yeah. but who has had success, who's had success and who has some sort of longevity behind what they're doing. Um, because even by going to somebody's website, even if they have a website, you know, if they, if they have had success, they're going to have something up there in the world that you can go check out. So I think like research, understanding what to ask, qualifying out, those are all the things that drive uh, and help you sell better. And not sell as in like close. When I say sell, I mean like just like cause you less stress in when you actually close the deal because you can close the wrong people and then it's hell. It's just that. horrible. Especially yeah. if the coach, you don't want those people. And yeah. They are really just headaches. So I totally agree. <laughs> Well, think about it like a, like a trainer, like, like if I'm a gym trainer, like I want, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get somebody, I'm going to work with somebody like I want, I want them to be in the right mindset. I want them to commit. I want them to, you know, not, if I'm going to put somebody on a, on a meal plan or on a workout regime, like I want them to stick to it. Exactly. I don't want them. And if they're not going to stick to it, then it looks bad on me. It looks bad on me. You know what I mean? If they're, if they're on, if they're on Instagram saying like, oh, you know, Scott couldn't, you know, help me lose weight or Scott couldn't, you know, uh, you know, f uh, increase my, my, you know, one RM or my bench or whatever, or my squat. And, and then it's because they don't go to the gym. It's because they eat whatever they want. They drink all weekend. And that looks bad on me as a personal trainer. So obviously some, some things are more visible than others, but I mean, everything comes back. So I think you have to be careful of your own brand when you, when you close clients. And I, th I don't think people think about that, yeah. but 
you close yeah. the right client, it can accelerate your business exponentially, like quite quickly. And also you want you want it to be a fun experience for everyone, right? It's it's not yeah. fun for them if they don't get the result. It's not fun for you if you have to drag them all the time and they just don't yeah. put in the work. So it's not a good experience for either one. And I want to make sure that it's a good experience for both of yeah. us when we work together. So I, I think it's really important. And it's something that people don't often talk about, about this process of qualifying people and also to be picky about who you work with and not just say, okay, I can close this client and I will do it just because I can, mm -hmm. but to really be, be aware of who you want to work with. That's why it's so important to set yourself up in a position so you can be picky. True. <laughs> so yeah. last but not least, where can our listeners find you online if they would like to connect with you more? Well, first of all, thank you for the thank you for the conversation. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I hope I hope everybody got some value out of that. Um, if uh, if they want to connect with me, um, I have a I have a website. So scottdclary.com. Um, I also have a website for the podcast, uh, successstorypodcast.com. Or I was fortunate enough to get all the social um, at Scott D. Clary. So you can just you can go anywhere and find me there. <laughs> That's easy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing all those tips and insights. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it too. My so, pleasure. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thanks again. Take care and talk soon. Bye. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching 
my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 